citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, coming to you from poolside <laughs> in the airport residential area of Accra. I've never actually been here, but I've heard good, good things about this place called the Meridian. And as you'll hear, we are, like I said, poolside. So there's families, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a lovely, lovely morning. And I'm so happy to finally sit down with my guest today. Let's get right to her bio. She is an international education professional with over 20 years of progressively responsible and diverse experience within the field of higher education. She is currently the campus director at Webster University here in Accra, Ghana. Her expertise includes strategic planning, program development, counseling with the focus on multiculturalism and diversity, academic oversight, advising and planning. And she has a strong background in creating and managing study abroad programs in Africa and Europe. Her publications and research stress understanding of cultural factors on a worldwide scale. And with extensive travel and study experience spanning over 65 guys, 65 countries. She's also a polyglot. Her languages include Spanish, German, Portuguese, and beginning tree. Krista Sanders, welcome <laughs> to the podcast. Thank you so much. It is my pleasure and honor to be with you. I know we've been trying to get together for a minute now, yeah. and yeah. so it's great to be able to meet on this uh, beautiful morning in Accra, yeah. poolside, as you rightfully mentioned. Yeah. There are a lot of kids around here, so I must apologize uh, for the background noise that we may hear, but this is very much another part of my life yeah. in that I have a 12-year-old daughter who actually happens to play tennis here on Saturdays. <laughs> so I'm a classic multitasker. Right. So we have to make sure that, you know, we could also fit her in nice. um, a little bit later. So wonderful. that's why we're here. Yes, wonderful. <laughs> Thank you for, for that. And, you know, also something really interesting going on here in Accra this weekend is the Ga Manye, Queen yes. Mother yeah. funeral, mm -hmm. Mother's funeral. So it's it's basically a public holiday. Absolutely. There's not much traffic. Yeah. I think most of the roads are pretty much blocked. Lots of businesses are closed. Yeah. I know we were going to meet somewhere else, yeah. but we could yeah. not do that. Yeah. So yeah. it is a special moment in history, exactly. actually, in Accra, exactly. Greater Accra. I think she's been on the, the crown for mm -hmm. 48 years. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. Incredible. Yeah. And to yeah. be recognized, respected on this level yeah. for the entire country exactly. is yeah. really, really important yeah. and pivotal right. for today. Right. So Exactly. Yeah. So, so thanks for recognizing a, that. Yeah. Well, I'm not. So. <laughs> oh wow. So, yeah. <laughs> you learn something every time. I did not. That, a proud woman. Yes. From Greater Accra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My family. Fantastic. From, um, well, where the well part of the Gamanche, right? So not part, but it's Goodness. apparently I'm part of some of okay. the royal family Atray. Okay. And so amazing. Yeah. So Jamestown is where my parents grew up, and maybe we should rather be interviewing ah. you. <laughs> Another time. There's time for that. Plenty of time for that. Plenty of time for that. But well, let's get started. Okay, sure. Where are you from? So I am... Where are you local? Okay. And what is your craft? Okay, so the way I am as I'm getting older these days, you got to take it one by one oh, by one. Okay. So. Okay, okay. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So, so where are you from? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I guess that I'm a classic educator. I'm going to take yeah. it one by one. Yeah. Um, so I'm originally from... Philadelphia, okay. Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. I like to claim Philadelphia, but I technically grew up in the suburb of outside of Philadelphia. It's called Bryn Mawr. Mm -hmm. And Bryn Mawr, for those of you in the audience who may not be as familiar with it, it's um, very much a university town. So you've got Bryn Mawr mm. College, you've got Haverford oh, College, yeah. you've got yeah. Villanova and a number of other schools, Rosemont. So I, I grew up very much in a university town, mm. both of my parents being professors. Mm -hmm. um, so it's no wonder, I guess, I entered the field of <laughs> higher education. education. It was kind yeah. of deep to do that. My grandmother yeah. was also a public school teacher in the Philadelphia school system for, mm. I don't know, 35, 40 years, for a very, very, very long time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I'm originally from 
Bryn Mawr, but I like to claim Philadelphia. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll take it. <laughs> okay. And where are you local? So right now, and I say right now, but for the last, unbelievably for me, 19 yeah. years, yeah. I've been living in Accra. So Ghana is definitely my home and I love it very, very much. I never envisioned staying here, though, for more mm. than, let's say, three to five years. Mm. When I came, I had a job offer, and, and that was the contractual period. But, you know, Ghana as a country and Accra is a place that kind of grows on you, becomes very comfortable, and I really have my, my network, my people. This is my home. Mm-hmm. And so I've been here for a while. When I first came, I lived in a neighborhood called Asylum Down. Okay. Yeah which is a great neighborhood, very centrally located in Accra, close to everything. And now I live in an area called Northridge, which is beautiful. It's a lot of uh, diplomats live in the area, but it's also very close to Asylum Down. So sometimes I walk right into Asylum Down and I also feel at home in both places. So my first 10 years in Asylum Down and now I'm in uh, Northridge, Accra, and very much enjoying the experience of being there too. Across so diverse, so many different parts of this amazing city. I've only lived in two parts, but uh, when I first came, I even lived in Abeka La Paz. Oh, okay. Yes, okay. down the race course road. This very, uh, really? it's developed now, yeah. but at the time it was a very bumpy road mm-hmm. I had to take. I used to take a trotro, a local transport. Did you? Yes, can you imagine when I first started my job <laughs> at Did New you? York University? Did you? Wow. <laughs> yes, okay. yes, and that was quite an adventure. Okay. So let's just say I've had all different types of experience. I also spent a little bit of time in Medina. So okay. I've really been able to explore the this uh, fantastic diversity we have here across. Sure. Sure. Wow. So Asylum Down is an interesting place because it got its name. I know. From <laughs> an asylum. asylum. Yeah. I really don't like that word. But yes, right. there is a psychiatric facility, yeah. I'll say, yeah. um, that is just down the road. So that's why the neighborhood has its name. And exactly. it, it mostly, you know, it has residential part as well as a lot of different uh, businesses. So mm-hmm. I really enjoyed living there. Yeah, I mean, I it's very experience. central. It's yeah. very central, very yeah. close to the places people like to go, yeah. like Osu and, mm-hmm. and other spots. So, yeah. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> okay, and what is your craft? My craft? Hmm. So, you know, I work in the field of higher education, specifically international education. Mm-hmm. I'd like to think that I'm a creative in that way in terms of developing exchanges, uh, particularly study abroad, and giving students the opportunity to see the world through education outside of their comfort zone. So I think that is my forte, my strength, but I'm also a person who's passionate about the arts. Mm -hmm. And because I spent my first decade with uh, NYU, which is famed, you know, as an art school in so many ways, whether you're talking about Tisch School or performing arts or otherwise, I believe that I really grew a deep passion for the arts. In fact, when I first went to school as an undergraduate, I'm a proud HBCU graduate. Let me plug Spelman College for a minute. (laughs) I initially went as an art major. Really? So I've always loved the arts. On the side, I had a jewelry business Mm, while I've been here called The Unknown Collection, Mm -hmm. uh, celebrating unknown African artists and the incredible art we see all over the continent Mm -hmm. uh, through jewelry, through my love of going through markets and so on and so forth. So I think that the, you you know, you talk about what is your craft. I think that I have many areas, um, but I'd like to infuse the arts into everything that I do. Even at the university where I currently work, I'd like to think that we have a little bit of an art gallery feel Mm. going on in the institution because I've always believed that students should be inspired when they come to the academy, not only in their subject area, but also just the space in which they are studying. The light, the way the light enters uh, a space and the beauty of the paint that you use. You know, at one point in in my life, I had been introduced more to architecture, let's Mm -hmm. just say that. And and I knew a lot of architects, and I still do today, and they made me really appreciate the sensitivity around light Mm -hmm. and the beauty of a building and how it can lift your spirit. And and definitely when you're studying, you need to be focused. So we've worked a lot to make a beautiful 
institution that also is filled with fantastic art. And also the the art we see around us all over the continent and, and in Ghana specifically has been inspirational. So... You asked me my craft, but I guess it could be many different things. However, specifically, I've been interested in developing exchanges and giving folks the opportunity to see their world through an educational experience. The African diaspora has also been something I've been very passionate about being a member of the African diaspora. And through education, there are great opportunities to bring the diaspora to places like Ghana for them to have impactful, life-changing experience. Right. Uh And so I feel like you have kind of lived that life and that kind of is what brought you here. So tell us yes. a little bit more about so you said, you mentioned you started as a potential art major. Yes. But 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 you veered <laughs> off that course a little bit. Yes. So then how how and, and you know obviously with an academic family then yes. you know you have that. But yeah. but how did you make your way into the space where you currently are? Yeah. I mean I think I've had a very non-traditional career path. People have always said Mm -hmm. that. Yes, I entered Spelman College as an art major, you know, and I had that typical situation that sometimes happens to folks where it's like, you going to make any money uh, in that that field? Well, now I see I certainly could have, you know, but at the time, I also was kind of encouraged by family and others Mm -hmm. to explore other avenues um, and interest. Mm -hmm. I've always been a people person, and so I went more into the field of psychology and also languages. Um, I was a double major in psychology and Spanish. Mm -hmm. While at Spelman, I had a life changing event. Unfortunately, my mother passed away. um, And prior to her passing away my sophomore year, we'd always talked about the beauty of international education, travel experiences. I traveled a bit with my parents. I was fortunate when I was in high school to go to Spain um, and to some other uh, countries, particularly in the Caribbean. And my father also is a Pan-Africanist, so he had been in Nigeria and Ghana and other parts of Africa. So kind of grew up appreciating that overseas experience. And so, you know, I told my mother before she passed that I really would like to study abroad. And so... I did. I was able to receive a scholarship and study abroad with Syracuse University in Madrid, Spain, and also sort of fulfill my mother's dream for me, which was to have that experience um, just shortly after she passed. So Mm -hmm. while studying in Spain, it became my refuge. I mean, obviously, it was uh, traumatic at that age, losing one's uh, parent. But then I found refuge in the experience of living outside of the United States, interacting with people from all different cultures and societies. Societies. And then while in Spain, I was sensitized to the discrimination mm-hmm. that Africans living there are faced with. Yeah. I developed an organization with another African-American who was living there called Voices of Change okay. to help people of color deal with issues of discrimination and also Americans living um, sure. in Spain uh, sure. deal with that. And um, So I you think, didn't say you're an entrepreneur, but yeah. so you're an entrepreneur too. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, I kind of always, yeah. you know, I developed this organization and we worked diligently to provide resources to people of color and Americans living in Spain who are facing racism and discrimination. And so I think my experiences, particularly interacting with the Moroccan community, um, Spain made me interested in Africa, right? And so I eventually traveled there, you know? That was a long time ago. So they had something called U-Rail passes back in the day. So I hope I'm not dating myself because I don't like to do that. But I had one of those one-month U-Rail passes and was able to explore mm-hmm. Morocco. Mm-hmm. And that experience was also quite impactful. And I said, you know, one day I would love to live on the continent. Mm-hmm. I would love to go there. And I would like to also just be in a position where I'm able to uplift people and give opportunities. And education, as we all know, is a powerful force. Yeah. And so I decided that that would be my way of empowering people and particularly people who have been underrepresented, marginalized. You know, in the field of study abroad, honestly, when I look from the lens of the United States, it's been a very privileged, white kind of experience um, from inception. And you have very few people of color and particularly 
black folks um, mm -hmm. having that opportunity to go outside of their comfort zone. Yeah. Sometimes there are financial barriers, sometimes there are other barriers that right. come up that do not uh, allow that. Even something as simple as having a passport mm -hmm. <laughs> um, can be difficult for a lot of people to have, and the exposure, yeah. you know. And so I decided back then, at the ripe age of, you know, 21, that I am one day going to this opportunity that I have been given to ensure that others have this opportunity as well because it changed my life. It saved me during a very difficult period. But then I also saw the impact of the studies on my life and the desire to learn and, and to know people of all parts of the world because at the end of the day, we have a responsibility to be global citizens. Right. Right. Yeah. And so... Yeah. So it's always been sort of my mission, and it's no wonder I've worked for institutions that are very much focused on global citizenship mm -hmm. and global excellence. And I believe that our people as well deserve those opportunities. And so I think that's why I am where I am today. Sure. I've worked on both sides. So I've worked on the study abroad angle of having opportunities for American students and American institutions to have opportunities in Europe, Spain, for example, Germany and other countries. And then also I've had a, a mission, I would say, to connect students of African descent to the African continent. Okay. And so that became very important to me when I came here in 2004 mm -hmm. to work towards ensuring those type of experiences. HBCU students, I worked on a lot of programs for HBCU students to also come to Ghana and to mm. be able to connect, mm -hmm. um, hence fulfilling that personal and professional mission um, for them to be able to see the power of an experience um, in Africa. Sure. So those are some of the things that I feel that I've been able to do that has gotten me here. The other side or the other angle of it is, although I've traditionally worked a lot with U.S.-based institutions mm -hmm. because that's been my experience in giving those opportunities, Ghana, this second decade that I've been here mm -hmm. has been the greatest opportunity in that I've been able to work with uh, primarily students from the African continent mm -hmm. and giving them now the opportunity to study in the U.S., mm -hmm. Europe, Asia, sure. and then with the mission of returning yeah. to the continent with those skills and competencies yeah. and building capacity for their own countries. And for me, that has been the greatest fulfilling experience. The institution where I've been the last nine years, Webster University has campuses all around the world mm -hmm. um, where you can receive a U.S. accredited degree. So it's opened up a window of my career life and higher education experiences where now I'm working with students from 21 African nations, 31 nationalities overall, mm -hmm. but 21 of the 31 nationalities I work with have been from diverse countries in Africa. Nice. So I have students from Rwanda, Burundi, mm -hmm. Nigeria, Mali, Sierra Leone. It's, it's just been incredible. South Africa. Mm -hmm. I mean, and the list goes on and on. And of course, all of our surrounding countries and, sure. you know, the subregion as well. And that has been powerful because I've seen their eyes open to new experiences at the same time representing their countries in Western countries sure. and, yeah. and breaking down those stereotypes and biases that exist yeah. against the African continent through that cross-cultural exchange experience. And that has been really phenomenal. And it sounds phenomenal. And so you've kind of touched on my why the where question, mm -hmm. but <laughs> and pretty much, you know, but let's understand why Accra. So, so why the where? So how did you come to be living, working and playing where you currently <laughs> live? I think that that goes back to my first experience mm -hmm. in Ghana. Oh, okay. in 1999. Mm. So I, I really feel like I'm a Ghanaian yeah. because I've been, yes, my history yeah. here is really, it's gone for quite some time now. So my father is a professor. I mentioned that before. Yes. He's a professor of religion at a HBCU in Richmond, Virginia. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. But I mentioned earlier that my dad is passionate about the African continent and he's this Pan-Africanist, mm -hmm. you know, and I grew up with this living with sure. this Pan-Africanist, yes. you know, who's also a black Baptist preacher. So ah. kind of a... <laughs> okay. 
That's interesting. Let's say dinner conversations were interesting yeah. all the time. All yeah. the time. Yeah. Anyway, so my father started taking groups of African Americans and other members of the diaspora mm-hmm. to Ghana and Ethiopia. Mm, okay. Since 1993. Okay. And in 1999, he invited me to be part of one of those experiences. So he teaches on the Ethiopian uh, Coptic Church. Okay. Yes, on Orthodox Christianity. He's always believed that Ethiopia is the beginning of civilization, right? I'm going Uh, there next week. Oh my gosh, it's absolutely amazing. And so the foundation beginning those journeys in Ethiopia, Mm -hmm. looking at the Orthodox Christianity, Mm -hmm. looking at Islam, Mm -hmm. um, and then coming to Ghana to explore the same and traditional religion and the power and impact and influence of traditional religion. Uh, Exploring that with students who are studying either to be ministers, to be professors of theology schools, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so the first experience that I had was quite powerful, Mm -hmm. Um, traveling to very diverse uh, nations. Ethiopia, obviously, never having been conquered by the Europeans. Mm -hmm. We need to think about that. Uh, You know, they resisted uh, the Italians, and so that's so much power. And then traveling from Ethiopia to the country of Ghana, looking back on its history with independence in 1957 and being the first Mm. African nation Mm -hmm. to be free from European rule, very powerful connections. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. we look at our first president, Kwame Nkrumah, Mm -hmm. also in his, in being in Ethiopia, they have so much love and affection for Ghana and for him as a leader and even his connections to Egypt. I mean, mm-hmm. and my, I had traveled also, I forgot on that trip also, to Egypt mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of that. My right. dad is a really interesting guy. Yeah. He kind of planned that trip out very well, yeah. Um, yeah. looking at Pan-Africanism yeah. to ensure that he instilled some of that also in me. Yeah. And so I think the most pivotal exchange I had was you know, going to Elmina Slave Dungeon, mm-hmm. the oldest and largest slave dungeon in the world and just the impact of that experience hearing the voices of ancestors i mean sometimes you hear this these kind of things and you think oh is this really true you know are they they contrive these contrived experiences but no it was really real for me Mm -hmm. and i i felt that spiritual connection to ancestors Mm -hmm. while in elmina with a group of students i'd gone into that journey with my my dad's students and i said from that moment this is my spiritual home i want to return here and now I just need to find a way to bring my craft. <laughs> That's full circle, right? Yes, exactly. um, to the continent. How can I do that within the higher education, international education, mm-hmm. and study abroad specifically space? Sure. NYU opened the door for me to be able to do that in 2004. Okay. So I'm very appreciative to that institution, my many colleagues, my many mentors that made that possible Mm -hmm. for me. And we built something great Mm -hmm. from 2004 to 2014 until I left NYU to take up the leadership role of Webster University, Ghana. And it has been a really unique, impactful ride. And I believe through education, been able to impact lives. Yeah. And when I see what my students, even from NYU today also, mm-hmm. are doing in this world, mm-hmm. it is phenomenal. Yeah. Many of them live in different parts of the continent. Mm-hmm. Some of them work for, you know, major NGOs, hospitals focused on public health mm-hmm. and the upliftment mm-hmm of marginalized people. And that's my passion in life because I come from those kind of roots. And so to see that it has paid off in that way and then to be working with students from diverse African nations, seeing them go abroad and come back now working in government, non-government sectors in their respective countries. Sure. You know, and not adding on to the brain drain because I've been very big about that with my students at Webster. 
that we have a responsibility mm-hmm. to return and build the capacity. Nobody's going to do it for us. Exactly. Nobody's going to do it for us. Right. So we have to do it ourselves. So go out there in the world mm-hmm. and be that change that you want to see. Just sure. you can do it. Sure. And so I think, you know, that has been part of me and part of my mantra, you know, yeah. while I have been in this field right. for all of these years. Right, 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 right. So I love that. I'm an MIU alum. And so, I did, you know, listen, in this podcast of yours. I'm learning that you are royalty of the gods. I'm learning that you are an alumna of New York University. Yeah, I went to Wagner. Wagner. Yeah, oh, I yeah. love Wagner. Yeah. I worked on a number of Wagner short-term faculty-led programs to Ghana. Yeah, nice. I'm wondering what more I'm going to learn uh, from this interview. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So then you should be very proud as a Ghanaian that NYU had the foresight to build this flagship program on the African continent and they chose Ghana. Yes. How powerful is that? Yes, very. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, yes. So so yeah, you said it. Yes. All all, all in that. Okay. (laughs) So that's perfect. So that's perfect in terms of the why, the where, how you came to be here. I love that story. And so when you think about all the places that you've lived, all the places, because you've, so you've lived in Spain? Yes, I've lived in Spain. Mm-hmm. I've lived in Germany. Mm-hmm. I've lived, I mean, talking about countries that are the antithesis of each other. But right. anyway, still interesting in their own right. Sure. I've lived in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that's a country I desire to live in again. Okay. Brazil and Cuba. Okay. Those places I'm very, okay. you know, you have these people in the world who, you know, they're fanatics on, you know, European history. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Then, mm-hmm. you know, they, they're, they're passionate about Western Europe, whatever they may be. Sure. Then you have those who are your Asia folks and they're like yeah. intense about it. Yeah. Then you have this group of people, which I feel I fit into who are focused more on Africa and Latin America Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. of the synergies and the connections. And and that's where I am in this part of the world and in my life. Sure, sure, sure. I love it. I love it. And it makes a lot of sense. So thinking about where you've lived, I'm going to ask you about Global Speak. Okay. (laughs) Oh, wow. So so I ask you to share a word, a phrase, or a saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you've come to value it as Global Speak. So it could be any of those languages that you speak. It could be English. But what, what would you say is a global speak for you? So you said that we could also look at an expression or a saying. Sure, yes. So I just have to say that this applies to everywhere that I have been. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To whom much is given, Mm. much is expected. Mm -hmm. I live by that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Ghana inspires me to think about that on a daily basis. I was given a great education from the time I was three, four, five, up to 18. I was in a Quaker school in uh, Philadelphia. (laughs) Yes, talk about a well-rounded educational experience. Then I went on to something that I never envisioned I would do, an HBCU. Mm. I wasn't going to an HBCU. I was not going. So what? (laughs) I grew up in a predominantly white and Jewish environment, and I I was like, ooh, I'm going to go to a black school? Uh, Not. But, and both of my parents were products also of HBCUs. My grandmother, interestingly enough, was not. Okay. So she had been cutting out magazine articles from Jet Magazine and Ebony Magazine from the time I was, I don't know. To give to you. Yes. To tell me about the benefits of an HBCU experience. And so I reluctantly... Went to Spelman with the desire of transferring to University of Virginia. All my friends were going to UVA that I had grown up with. And that's where I wanted to go. And I said, and my mother said, just do a year at Spelman. Oh, good gracious. (laughs) She had put down a deposit unknowingly to me. We were on our way to, you know, Charlottesville. And all of a sudden she said, can't we keep going down? What is it? Uh, 85 South or whatever it is. You know, keep going. And I said, are you kidding me? We're going to UVA. She says, no, we're going down to Spelman because the orientation starts earlier and see what you think. 
Okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. They had planned the whole thing. She yeah. and my grandmother yeah. took out all my things. And next thing you know, I was going into the H.H. Howard Herald dorm and said, okay. what did okay. they trick me into? Okay. okay. But listen, I, I that summer, I said, I'm going to go and spend the summer at UVA and I'll transfer there ultimately. Mm-hmm. But wow, that Spelman HBCU I experience sure. was like no other. Yeah, it rocked your world. It rocked my world. Yeah. My best friends of life have basically come out of the Spelman Morehouse uh, yeah. experience and other HBCUs. Sure. Even you and I have friends in common yes, yes, who've gone yes. to these HBCUs. It was a powerful, powerful experience, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, I think Spelman also taught me that to whom much is given, mm-hmm. much is expected. Mm-hmm. That you must go out in this world, not only uplift your own people, but make a difference in this world. Spellman's current motto is a choice to change the world. Mm. Okay. And I feel that I also live by the teachings of my parents, of Spelman College, and just experiences of life. Yeah. And so, you know, when I keep repeating this, I remember that I also was raised by a pastor mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. emphasized to whom much yes, is given, yes, much is expected. Sure. And so it's, let's just say it's a global language, although it's an English or global saying, Yes. okay, yes. that yes. applies to my life. Sure, I could say aquaba, mm. a chale, those sure. kind of things. Sure. Uh, and I do say chale at least 20 <laughs> times a day. But I think that the saying is what has motivated me on a daily basis, no matter where I am in the world. And in Ghana, it is even very clear from the moment I wake up, Mm. go to work, Mm -hmm. the people I see on the streets, uh, in villages, in communities, who are in their own right doing, you know, the best that they can do in this world to sure. give back to this world. Sure. But I know that I've been given certain privileges and I do not take that for granted for one minute. And so I feel the highest contribution that I can give at this stage is through education, through community engagement. Also, the university has given me a unique platform to enlighten people about topics that matter, mm. that affect mm-hmm. Africa and, and her diaspora mm-hmm. at large. Mm-hmm. And so having that public platform right. to effect change through discussion, through debate, through yeah. reasoning, through so yeah. many things. Yeah. And your programs are awesome. Thank you like so that. much. I know you've yeah. come to some yeah. of our, our yeah. global conversations, yes, our indeed. public lectures and master classes. Mm-hmm. I think th- that is one way. I mean, education is a vehicle for social change mm-hmm. around the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, that's that's what it would be for me. Okay. And that, that saying, whether I'm in Germany, mm-hmm. whether I'm in Spain, whether I'm in Brazil, whether I'm in Sao Tome and Principe Islands or Cabo Verde or Indonesia or Madagascar. I've been blessed to see so much of this world and so cannot go into this world lightly. We have to make a difference in communities. And I I have to echo the same kind of um, sentiment because, you know, I spent half of my life in New York Mm -hmm. and every time I'm coming back to Ghana, this different kind of creative takes over me mm-hmm. because it's a laboratory of problem solving. Yes. You know, yes. there's just so yes. much that has to be addressed. <laughs> yes. So every moment I'm like, yes. oh, we could do this, but oh, we could do this, we could do this. And so I had to yes. figure out that first of all, there's patience yes. involved oh, oh. In, in really forming <laughs> we need, we, the ideas. That's an but, entire podcast. We're dealing with my my homeland, Ghana. Yes. 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 Yeah, but yes. You, you you build that grit that, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah. you can do anything. Exactly. They said, they used to say, mm-hmm. if you can make it in New York, you make it anywhere. I would say, if you can make it in Accra. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Ghana, yes. In our part of the world, it's, I mean, La- Lagos, Abuja, it's wherever it's going to be. Of these places. Yes. Yeah. Where yeah. people have faced enormous hardships. But at the end of the day, look at the brilliance coming out of the continent. Right. Right. Exactly. Doesn't it inspire you on a daily basis Absolutely. to be here and to continue yeah. Yeah. returning? Exactly. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, I could take the easy route and stay in the West. Right. And. It's just, just as you mentioned, it's, I know that I have this education and these skills that are meant to be applied 
in this part of the world. And Absolutely. So, so that's uh, that's the plan. Yes, it is. Yes. yes. Fantastic. Okay. So wonderful on that side. So let's talk a little bit more about the business of being in higher education and running an organization that is based on students coming to, you know, to mm-hmm. be there. So more like kind of the outreach when you were talking about the community engagement. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about what it's like to be at the, the head of an organization that has to pay the bills <laughs> at the end of the day. You well, know. let's just say it's not easy. Sure. It's not easy. I mean, it has been incredibly challenging, mm-hmm. but as uh, in much as it has been incredibly challenging, it has been so incredibly rewarding. Sure when you see the impact and how it affects people's lives. In this case, sure. our students and what they're doing in the world today, our sure. alum, yeah. et cetera. I mean, I think the education business, if you will, in this part of the world, particularly when you have an international mm-hmm. brand, it's challenging because mm-hmm. you've got to navigate how what the expectations are from the side of the home campus, in this mm-hmm. case, in the U.S., sure. And then balancing that with local culture, practices, right. Those and realities. Norms. Sure. Mm-hmm. And that's a very difficult space to mm-hmm. navigate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm proud to say that we've provided this incredible, I think, global education, internship experiences, practical experiences with communities, and then platforms for exchange mm-hmm. with the community. I'm glad to have worked for institutions that have not come in as often Western institutions do and sort of expect, well, we're going to do it our way or the highway. Right. You know, we haven't, I don't believe, done that. We've tried to strike that balance, but it is a challenging balance. I think providing the quality and then also making it affordable Mm -hmm. um, has been difficult, Mm -hmm. especially looking at the current economic landscape in our part of the world and the world at large. Yes. You know, it's been really, really challenging. So you have periods where, you know, students are not able to take, let's say graduate students, you're supposed to take two classes in a term Mm -hmm. and they may only be able to take one or they have to step out you'd call it temporarily mm-hmm. until they can fund the next courses. And that's definitely been challenging for everyone, especially me in the leadership position. I've always wanted to be able to provide more scholarships, more access, mm-hmm. all of that. But, you know, it's difficult. It's a difficult balancing yeah. act. Yeah. And Webster, just like many institutions in the region and, and on the continent at large, has faced those kind of challenges, sure. providing the quality, but also being able to meet the overheads of sure. trying to write it uh, to uh, manage an institution. I think all institutions, particularly when you look at COVID yes. and how it's yeah, impacted institutions kind of was, worldwide, yeah. mm-hmm. it has really, uh, well, it's forced us to look at you know new ways of approaching education, yes. whether it's the virtual experience or, you know, but I think that while, virtual and hybrid experiences are good. I'm I'm kind of traditional. The brick and mortar situation completely disappear because I do feel that you miss something when you're missing the human contact. I look right now, for example, at my daughter at 12. Well, they go on play dates, she and her friends, and they're on tablets. And it's like, nope, 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 nope. Is this what the future is going to be? Right. Right? And so the university also will play a very important role in how to navigate that Mm -hmm. to make sure there's still that basis of human interaction Mm -hmm. and and contact. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, I've been faced with multiple challenges based on, again, the economic landscape based on uh, meeting expectations of how things would run maybe on the U.S. side, but then we also have the local norms sure. and accreditors and, and expectations around that. Mm-hmm. It, um, it's, it's a unique balance to fuse yeah. both of them <laughs> and for it to survive. Now, one of the institutions since I've been in the country that has been absolutely inspirational to me has been Ashesi University. Mm-hmm. Ashesi, I worked with Ashesi when I was at NYU. Our students used to take classes um, okay. together. Yeah. They had this opportunity to go to the University of Ghana and then also to go to um, Ashesi. Okay. And I always think about the founder of Ashesi, who I've known since 2004, saying that maybe in year nine, 
He was ready to throw in the towel. He's spoken about that mm, publicly, yeah. how difficult yeah. it is yeah. to set something up, and right. particularly in our part of the world. Yeah. But then things eventually came together. Sure. And so, you know, I think this has taught me the importance of persistence, mm-hmm. grit, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that you are going to face obstacles, but you've got to keep going. Right. Because there's something greater at the end of the tunnel. Right. So what what do you think of, you know, when when I think about Ashesi and some other organizations, I think about how endowments play a huge role in being able to offer those scholarships and things like that. So when you think about (laughs) universities and building building strong universities here in the continent, here in Africa, how would you envision that happening or or what what are your thoughts on you know moving moving the dial? Because I feel like Ashesi's in that position now. Oh they are. A lot of that, you know, um, I think that they were very brilliant and strategic. Mm-hmm. MasterCard Foundation, right. um, they have that partnership. I right. mean, you definitely need to have that. Yeah. Um, I've always said uh, the institution that I'm currently work for, working for is not necessarily, you know, you've got the Yales and the Harvards that mm-hmm. have these incredible endowments and that's why they're able to do all that yeah, exactly. they can do. Webster has catered stateside to often first-generation mm-hmm. college students. And mm-hmm. so it's a very mm-hmm. different model. And sure. I really appreciate it. I'm working for this type of institution because yeah. that is really inspirational. But definitely you need to have a strong development office. Sure. Yes. <laughs> yes. At the root yeah. of things and the yes. ability to fundraise and build um, those endowments to be able, or partnerships, Mm -hmm. whatever they Mm -hmm. may be, Mm -hmm. to ensure that students don't have too much financial burden um, to access this quality um, education. So I was not as much involved um, over the last years in um, that aspect of it because we were a branch uh, campus. But I did uh, delve into that world Mm -hmm. a bit Mm -hmm. and I know that that's also not easy. You know, building those partnerships. I mean, this is, is, you know, 100 plus year old institutions that really get there. So even a Chessie in its short time to have- Yes, has done so well. Such a- Starting So extraordinary, you know, so extraordinary. And I'm aware that I had hoped I could have, from my side, been involved in those development efforts on this side. So I used to say, wow, if I could just meet Don Gote. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and that's that's really, you know. Because I said, what did I say before? I said, we're never going to, we we shouldn't be dependent necessarily on the West. Exactly. to do this for us. Exactly. Right? Exactly. We need to be able to look within. Mm-hmm. And look, there's a lot of wealth on the continent. It may represent tremendous, a small percentage, a tremendous but amounts, the, the yeah. and the gaps we know are, are significant. Yeah. yeah. But there's a, a lot of wealth. In, and it needs to be channeled, I'd say, in the right direction. Right. So to move a society forward, you need to have people that are informed who want to be those change makers. And I think education provides that vehicle to make some of those dreams come true. But the investment must be there. And we have enough people who could help within the continent, I think, to make that happen. But it also depends on what your priorities are. And And so also we need to focus on government. Also, yes, the, I so think it's, it's on a that confidence. Yes. It's a confidence thing mm-hmm. for these people to put their funds in those yes, places. Yes, exactly. And, and you know, I find like the dangleties of the world are very focused on business. Yes, neglecting what makes business work well, right. which is um, education. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so it's that's kind of a passing yeah. thought or an afterthought. Oh, the government. I feel like they believe the government is going to do that, mm-hmm. and then they'll just take over for the jobs and the economics. But I, you know, these businesses that they continue to want to invest in don't have an able customer base Yes, because so many of them have fallen through the cracks because they don't have the upper mobility to be part of those institutions. Exactly. So it's, yeah, these interesting cycles of... Yeah, yes. (laughs) Right, it is. But then, you know, we have examples. So I can tell you that Mm -hmm. one thing I had thought about I was so inspired by Robert Frederick Smith. 
who was an investor, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. And he went, I think we were all aware, and funded this entire class, you know, at Morehouse. Right. All of their debt, you know, yeah. was relieved. And, you know, I had said, well, it would be great to have someone like that also come to our part sure. of the world and see what's happening. So I, he's an example of there are plenty of people like exactly. this who want to do things yes. and can. And yes, and can. On that note, thinking about, you know, a mindset that is in that place, let's talk about a mindset hack. Okay, so what is your favorite or innovative mindset hack? Now, this is one that you practice, one that you know of, or one that you can imagine. So I think that would be traveling and writing. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, so mm -hmm. I've been blessed to visit over 65 countries. I keep, you know, I have one of those maps in my house, world maps. Mm -hmm, and then every mm -hmm. time I go to a country, I put one of those little pins. Yeah. Like I'm so proud of myself. Yeah. You know I mean? yeah. And I made it to this place. And so the experience of seeing the world uh, really inspires me. I also find it to just relax me. And I'm such... I've emphasized that I'm a people person. Yeah. So I'm the type of person, I'll go up to the person in the marketplace and mm -hmm. have a conversation. Mm -hmm. I'll try out a different language that way. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, yesterday I enjoyed in an Ethiopian meal. Um, no, this time I went to Abyssinia. Okay. In, yes, uh, yes. In Laboni. Yes, 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 it was mm -hmm. lovely. And I decided I'm going to practice my broken Amharic. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> with the waiter. So I said, Bona and Fanakala. Okay, what is that? Mean? That's local speak. That's local speak. So, okay, I was saying, <laughs> so I so that means uh, may have coffee please. Bona oh. and Fanakalo. Oh, yes. I like yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. So I love the, the beauty of travel is that you learn more than you could learn even in the classroom. Yeah. I really believe that it's, yeah. it's, it's the practice that you get being out in the field, you know? And so I have really enjoyed that and I've become more passionate about the African continent because mm -hmm. it is so incredibly diverse. Mm -hmm. Cabo Verde mm -hmm. is a place that over, since the period of COVID, I've gone there three times. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. Ten different islands. Each yes. island is so different yes. from the next. Yes. But my first experience in Cape Verde was growing up my early years in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and meeting all these Cape Verdeans yeah, there. Yeah, that's right. That's because right. Because of history's past. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. The other one would be writing. When I started this journey of travel, mm -hmm. One of my greatest experiences was, was meeting my sister, who had been a Peace Corps volunteer mm -hmm. in Cameroon. Okay. Um, we met in South Africa, went on to Madagascar, and we spent several months traveling mm -hmm. with backpacks throughout okay. the continent. Yes, we did. But you did yes, it in we Africa, did that. Though. We did. Yeah. We did. Actually, uh, an auntie of mine I love so dearly mm -hmm. passed away. Knew I had interest in, you know, international travel and left me some money. Oh, so I took her. off, I took off, yeah. almost had like a gap year. Sure. And we traveled throughout mm -hmm. the continent. Okay. And then I went on to Asia to meet my college roommate. Right. Ah. And during that period, my sister and I in particular and the college roommate that I met in Indonesia, we realized the power of being black and being abroad. Mm. <laughs> And, and that's being a women. powerful statement, yeah. And it's being a women. statement, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And wow. uh, we decided, my sister and I, specifically Johnette, Iris, Stubbs, to start a movement, in okay. some senses, okay. Black Women Abroad, okay. which okay. the genesis of that has been a book project we've been working on nice. for many, many years. Nice. Nice. And we hope to complete Let's hope by 24 we'll have it done. But it's been a journey. Uh -huh. She's also lived in many parts of the world. Okay. And I have as well. And so we're going to write about that experience and what it means. And we've also started a scholarship program oh, to empower nice. uh, 
young black women to see the world sure. through study abroad. Nice. I love that. I love <laughs> yeah. that. I love that. Yes. So we're going to put that in the show notes, your, hey, your program. Wonderful. So we'll sure to add that to the show notes. Absolutely. So Crystal, this has been such an inf- <laughs> inspiring conversation yes. around who you are and how you navigate the world. And so let's talk about the Krista that's not the mom, <laughs> not the um, the higher education specialist. How do you spend your time when you're not working or being very busy? And I typically ask, are you a reader, a watcher, or a listener? And what are some of your favorite reads, watches, or listens? Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> Or how do you how do you spend how do you spend your downtime? Well, you know, this may go back to my days of being passionate about the arts. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I consider myself a junior art collector. Wonderful. I like I love to spend to a lot of time in galleries. Mm-hmm. I find that very relaxing. Sure. Also, going through the markets, mm-hmm. um, I really enjoy that experience. I also am a person who loves to be by the water. Mm, Find mm -hmm. it very sort of rejuvenating. I like to go early morning Mm. to the beach when there are not a lot of people there to really focus and and reflect on, you know, the week ahead, um, if you will. So I've always been someone who wanted to live by the water. And I think I will continue to be that way. I used to say when I was younger that I'm going to retire in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. As I don't know anywhere where the the waters are, as, are so yes. so clear and yeah. prist, pristine. Of course, yeah. there are many places in the world, but sure. it's the place that had attracted me quite a lot. So, I think anything involving the water, the arts, those kind of things, I find help me to refocus nice. and recenter. Nice, nice. Yes. So, are you going to ArtX? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I wouldn't miss it for the world. I know. I think that I it is so fantastic. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I plan to yeah. to be there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. folks, that is um, Art X Lagos, which yeah. is one of Africa's, you know, mm-hmm. I want to say, be, aside from the uh, Dakar Biennale, mm-hmm. it's probably the, the, the next largest mm-hmm. art fair or art mm-hmm. exhibition in, in Africa and in West Africa. Mm-hmm. And so that's happening next weekend. Yes. And, and it's so phenomenal. I'm, I'm gutted that I'm not going to make it because I'm headed to a birthday celebration in Cape Town, South oh, Africa. Well, that's not too bad. It's not. It's not. But, you know, it's one of my favorite places, too. Sure. <laughs> but but the, it speaks to quite a bit about the, the ability to travel easily. You know, if I were in the States or something, I could easily go to Lagos and then hop on the plane to Cape Town from there. Mm-hmm. And it would have been, you know, nice. But it's a little bit more challenging, the logistics of let me go to Lagos and mm-hmm. let me now go to direct flights to Cape okay. Town. Because otherwise right. I would have to go to Johannesburg. Sure, so sure. We're, we're fortunate here in Ghana that we have a flight, Ethiopian Airlines. Yes. That goes directly. <laughs> I'm to like Cape a Town. frequent flyer. There you go. Them, yeah. Right. <laughs> so travel yes. tips, folks. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, just, no. Just ways to get around. Oh my yeah. gosh. I think they have probably the vastest network, right? Yes. Of yeah, any so other right African yeah. airline. So yeah. 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 So kudos. They yeah. built they built a strong airline in the last ten years. Yeah. I mean yeah. they've been around for quite yeah. some time. Yeah, yeah. It's even inspirational that they have a lot of they have a I think an all female crew yeah. or something. Have you seen yeah. the yeah, publicity yeah. Yeah. that? Yeah. That is just phenomenal. Yeah. Well folks, <laughs> this has been such a fun experience to start the weekend. And and so we know yes. now Krista does have to get to mom and check out the tennis that's, lesson. That's the multitasker yes, in me, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But you keep going because we want all our our little children to have that outside, you know, to have oh, that so sport. Important, and so yeah, isn't it? I'm so, so happy important. to hear that. Yeah, I yeah. tell her every time, you know, you never know. You might be the next Ghanaian Serena or Venus. Yep. So just yep. keep Stick going. Keep yeah. going. Yeah. And if nothing at all, you'll travel. <laughs> I mean, I'm a yeah. sports was my life and it, oh, it, it is yes, often my life. So, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can. Uh, yes, yeah, it's yeah. very important. Okay. Anyway. So, so folks in the show notes, we'll, we'll check out where Krista is now, all of her contact information. If you're interested in Webster University, all of those things will be in the show notes. So wow. as always, you can catch us 
each and every Tuesday with new episodes at globalcitizenspod.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Like, share, subscribe, leave us a review, please. Come on, folks, just just leave a review. It helps others find <laughs> great content on the internet. And until next time, bye for now. <laughs>